if you're seen as over controlling, how do you communicate? Hey, this isn't the kind of leader I, I want to be known as. I don't want to be a micromanager. And then begin demonstrating, demonstrate delegation, demonstrate loosening the reins. So ultimately, it boils down to communication and demonstration. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. J.R. Flatter and my co-host, Lucas. Hello. How you doing today? Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> you know what? I'm sorry to ask you people in coaching sessions because people do that. They, they say, good, okay, not bad. So on a scale of one to 10, where does not bad fall? Uh, six. <laughs> it doesn't sound that good when I say it like that. <laughs> I know, right? We're not going to explore that any further. (laughs) All right. So today I wanted to, if you don't mind, talk about a tool that we use, and it's a psychometric tool, the Leadership Circle Profile. And there are dozens of these kinds of tests out there. And personally, I try to stay what we would call agnostic in our business practice and in our teaching practice. And all I mean by that is we're not subscribed to anyone. There are so many good ones out there, probably, you know, multiple of 10x bad ones, but there are tons of good tools out there. But we use this one a lot. And so I just thought it'd be worthwhile to walk through, talk a little bit about a 360 assessment, how it differs from a personality profile, but also talk about the specifics of this particular tool and what I think it shows us. And I know you you went through a leadership class. You took a 360 Gosh, what was yours called? LMAP? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're all the same with regard to what are they measuring, and they're measuring perception. So that's the first thing I'll talk about. Any 360 assessment, as different from a personality profile, measures perceptions. It measures your perceptions of yourself, and it measures others' perceptions of you. And so it's called a 360 because it's a full circle. Now, this one just so happens to represent the findings in a full circle. But the idea of the 360 is that you have people, you think about a hierarchical organization above you, so your boss, oftentimes the boss's boss, answer the questions, your peers, some number of your peers answer the questions. You answer questions on yourself, so you're in the middle of that circle. In direct reports, if you have them, answer the questions. Customers, if you have customers. Stakeholders, if you have stakeholders. And so we want to get a representative sample of the world around you. And so that's what the idea of the 360 is all about. You know, how valid are perceptions? Some people tell you perceptions are reality. Some people say they absolutely aren't. And not to split the philosophical hair too finely, but depending on what side of the philosophical world you're on, objectivism or subjectivism is to whether or not that statement holds true for you. But with regard to leadership, 
your leadership of others, people's leadership of you. Perception is, in many ways, reality because your perception of yourself influences how you participate in the world. And the world's perceptions of you limit, open up how they'll interact with you. Probably the easiest example I could give is if the world knows you're not a morning person, you tell yourself, I'm not a morning person, you're likely not to schedule things in the morning. If the world thinks you're not a morning person, they're not likely to call you or email you or task you in those things that require you to be a morning person. You know, it's a bit overly simplistic. A lot of what we do as coaches centers around perception, the world's perceptions of you or your perceptions of yourself. If as a coach, I see a perception that you have that's limiting you, I might even explicitly label that as a self-limiting perception. And then we'll begin to explore how you might break yourself out of that limitation. If the world perceives you in a certain way and it's limiting your opportunities, we might start coaching on how you can begin to change the world's perceptions. In this tool, in most psychometric tools, you're measured against a sample of the population. I'll explain both of those. And this is why you should never, never, never try to write your own tool. I've been asked a couple of times, hey, could you build me a psychometric tool? Could you build me a 360 assessment? Uh, No, because it requires hundreds of thousands of respondents before it gets any predictability, any accuracy, or what a statistician might call any reliability or validity. And so the leadership circle profile in any good psychometric tool has hundreds of thousands, if not millions of observations or people who've answered the questions in the database, people reporting on themselves and then others reporting on people. And that's where the findings come from. You are compared to that sample population and are shown where you fall amongst that sample. The sample is a subset of the population. So if we have millions of respondents in our database, it isn't necessary to look at all those. We could look at a subset and that subset in the statistical world is called a sample. So usually we're measured against the sample and not the entire population. There's a continuum of what I would call inference for no other better way to label it. And that, Continuum is findings, conclusions, and recommendations. So the tool, and we'll talk about some of the specifics, shows us findings, what, how we perceive ourselves, and how others perceive us, how we compare to the sample of our peers. And you can draw conclusions from those findings. And there are statistical methods to measure how valid the conclusions are how valid the findings are. But you don't need any statistical significance as a human being to say, well, that's an interesting finding, and therefore I conclude. So if your finding was the world perceives you as not a morning person, you could choose to conclude, I don't care. You could choose to conclude, I need to change that, or something in between. 
you can just choose to say, well, that's interesting. And then from your conclusions, you can make recommendations. How might I change my perception or how might I change the world's perceptions of me with regard to the specific finding? The reason I think that's so important to point out is as coaches, we don't do conclusions, nor do we do recommendations. If we get anywhere near either of those, it's in a very global way. It's been my experience in people such as yourself that have had findings like this. They thought about, how does that resonate with you? But even for me, I have difficulty making any kind of conclusions as a coach. But as a 360 assessment evaluator, I'm perfectly comfortable delivering findings, delivering conclusions, and potential recommendations because I'm not in the coach role. I'm in a psychometric feedback role. And I think it's very important for a couple of reasons. One, I would never recommend coaching someone that you've done a psychometric feedback evaluation for because you've been in one role and now you're trying to assume another role. That's not to say I don't use psychometric findings in my coaching But I don't make conclusions and I don't make recommendations. I try really hard not to. Yeah, and I think um, that idea that, you know, you've got this output from the assessment, but then it's like, okay, what are we going to focus on and what are we going to change potentially? Because you even think about um, maybe I have something that's very weak compared to the national average or the global average. And you might say, oh, like let's improve this or let's improve the things that we're strong in instead. And so it's, there's all these different ways to interpret like the direction you should go in. Are we going to lean into the things that I'm a strong in already or that I'm weak in already? But then also um, thinking about, and this is something that I focused on was when I am assessing myself and I have one perception that's like, wildly different than than other people's perception i i think i tend to focus on those things because it's like there's a ton of questions that come from that like why do i perceive that i have a weakness that other people aren't perceiving you know yeah and we'll dig into all that in in a couple of minutes but you've highlighted one of these perennial debates in the in the world of leadership and coaching And that is, do I focus on those things that I'm good at or do I focus on those things that I'm bad at? And just like in other philosophies, there are schools of thinking. There are schools of thinking for both of those. You and I just did a podcast a few sessions ago with someone who believed in focusing on strengths. The whole Strengths Finders Gallup tool is all about identifying your strengths and leaning on those strengths and Building a team, from my world, I come down, probably not on the middle of the road. I think I lean more towards shoring up your weaknesses, building a team around you that complements your weaknesses. And maybe because I was a solo entrepreneur in the early days where I was everything in the company, business development, sales, bookkeeping, leadership, delivering technical and cognitive solutions. If you are a one-person show, you got to do everything. 
And so if you really bad at something, you just got to knuckle down and do it. But a conversation for another day. So uh, I'm going to uh, jump ahead. So there's something in, in uh, statistics that we call N, and not to get too technical, but N is the number of people in your population, the number of people in your sample. And for a 360 assessment, you have an N, and that's the number of respondents. If you know about statistics and, and finding statistical significance and a normal curve, a normal bell curve, you need a certain number of respondents to begin achieving reliability and validity. And so you want the number to be high, but also everybody who fills this out, there's a, a burden to them, right? They answer the same hundred plus questions that you do. So you can imagine if you do one of these in a organization, the CEO is probably doing every one of them. And so there's a burden, uh, all your direct reports, but we generally shoot for a minimum of 10 respondents. So you should probably ask 20 people to get 10 people to respond and you stay on top of them. We never want you know, a population of one, an N of one, but boss is one boss. Boss's boss, there's one boss's boss. Direct reports is what it is. And if you have 10, ask all 10. If you have five, ask all five and make sure you get more than two or three because it's, there's not a lot of findings and conclusions or recommendations you can make on, a, on an N of three. But in every subcategory, the whole number gets divided again. So if you have a total of 15 respondents across five categories, you're going to have one of one in the boss, one of one in you, and then you know the other 12 or 13 get broken down in direct reports, peers, customers. So it quickly gets divided down into single-digit ends, which decreases the reliability and validity. So we want that number relatively high. I love you know, 15 to 20 respondents. Really gives us a richness of feedback that we can really um, have some findings, conclusions, or recommendations that we can be confident in. But whatever that number is, that's the number of thank yous that you owe. So anyone who sits down and answers 100 plus questions deserves a thank you, but even more so the courage that they demonstrated to fill it out and tell the truth. I can look at a respondent pool and see whether the people are thinking. If everything's a five or everything's a four, they probably weren't thinking. They're just dot, 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 checking things. But if I'm seeing good variation between the questions, I know the person sat down and thought about each question and responded courageously about each question. And as we dig through the different sections of any 360, but specifically the leadership circle profile, we can look at the aggregate and draw some high-level conclusions. And then we can look at the individual questions. And that's where we really start to get the richness of feedback. What was the response to each question? And each group, even if they're thinking about each question, presents an average score. So if I'm your boss and I'm reporting on you and I think you're doing a really good job, I might give you on average a four. I don't personally think there's a lot of richness if every answer is a five. You probably weren't thinking and am I really the best that, that I could be? 
But if, if they are giving four, 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 and I see a three, that's a whisper. If I see a five, that's a whisper. And certainly if I see a three or a two, that's a shout. We need to pay really close attention to that particular question. And what was that person and or group of people trying to tell me? Yeah, and I guess um, this is almost getting into, yeah, like you you mentioned at the beginning, it's like st statisticians think about this one way and then we're evaluating another way. So it's, we have the data, but then we also have, you know, the qualitative like maybe you have a response and this this one has detail and in some cases i mean with the boss and boss's boss you can say oh this is this person it's not necessarily anonymous with those kinds of roles so being able to see somebody what they actually took the time to write like you said that requires more thought and so you can kind of especially if it's a lower score like you said like what are they trying to really communicate in this assessment what do they want the evaluator to take away from it and in those moments yeah you definitely see like oh um yeah exactly maybe the average is generally high but but these three that jumps out to me you know no absolutely and if you're one of one you know you are and you know the person's going to know exactly what you said and there are written comments too. Not only do we answer questions in this tool, but we make written comments. People know, oh, wow, this is what the boss thinks of me. Or, wow, I'm so glad this is what the boss thinks of me. It takes courage to do that. And so, again, going back to the idea of giving thanks. When we do any coaching, coach training, we talk about the intersection of the person and the professional. And certainly when you're looking at the findings of a 360, you want to talk about personal and professional perceptions, personal and professional communications, and then personal and professional demonstrations of how to change your own perceptions and or the world's perceptions of you. So I just want to remind everybody, this tool does that. And as coaches, as leaders, we should be interested in the personal and the professional. I just did another podcast with another um, team and we talked a lot about the, the intersection of the personal professional and its relevance to the 21st century. I think it's one of the things you and I talk about a lot. So just think for a minute in your mind, this circle. And this particular circle in this tool is broken down into quadrants. So a top and a bottom, a left and a right. And I know you have it there in front of you. So if I miss anything or you have questions about anything, please jump in. So the top is what the LCP calls the creative tendencies. Those things that make you a more creative leader. It's certainly worth pointing out all of the tendencies in creative per the sample population, per the population, are considered positively correlated with stronger leadership. So in statistics, if something's positively correlated, it means it's better, it improves. If it's negatively correlated, it detracts. So the top half of the circle is positively correlated to stronger leadership. And it's broken into five categories, how you relate, how self-aware you are, how authentic you are. Do you have awareness of the systems in which you're working? And are you focused on achieving? So at a very high level, relating, self-awareness, authenticity, systems awareness, achieving. 
if you've listened to me ever talk about statistics, those high level aggregates are not as rich as the lower level thinner slices. And so really within relating self-awareness, authenticity, systems awareness and achieving, we have things like caring connection. Do you build and sustain caring connections with other humans? Do you foster team play? Are you a collaborator? Do you mentor and develop others? Do you have interpersonal intelligence? What you and I might call emotional intelligence. We get findings on those finer slices. So that's the top half, positively correlated. The lower half of that same circle is reactive styles. When you're not being creative, perhaps you're being reactive. All but two of the lower are negatively correlated with stronger leadership. So negative coefficient detracts from or weakens leadership. Again, compare it against this sample population, which is then again, compare it against the entire population. And it's only broken down into three slices. Complying, how compliant are you? Protecting, do you protect yourself and protect your information? And are you controlling, overly controlling? So when you think about each of these three, you might put over in front of them, over-compliant, over-protecting, over-controlling to a negative aspect. Now, you could look at these and say complying is a good thing. Being protective is a good thing. Can be a bit controlling. Yeah, absolutely. But for me, I put the word need in front of these also. Do I need to control? Do I need to protect? As a, an adult, as a emotionally intelligent leader in the 21st century, there are very few things that you should need. You might desire. You might want but if you need, then it's probably a detractor. Just like, do you want to have a drink after dinner? Or do you need a drink after dinner? One's okay, probably a positive thing. One's negative, probably a destructive thing. So for me, the bottom of this circle, I ask myself, do I need it or do I just simply want it? And you might look at that and say, well, I'm not needing any of those things but the world thinks you do. And so is that important to you and, and your goals and objectives for your life? And so if you think about it now in quadrants, so the upper half is achievement, the lower half is reactive, the left side is people, and the right side is task. And so achievement and people-oriented or achievement and task-oriented. Again, in the whole upper circle is positive, the whole lower circle is negative. And so if you think about people and reactive, that's too much focus on people, perhaps. Task and reactive, too much focus on task and being reactive. So it doesn't take an expert in the tool to know, just from the descriptions that we've had, you want your observations in the upper half. One of the strengths of this particular tool is it's purposely meant to watch your leadership grow over time. And so, again, envisioning the full circle, achievement, reactive, left side, people, right side, task. Your responses are shown in a single black line somewhere along the continuum from the center outward. And the responders, responses to you are shown in green 
And so you can quickly look at this snapshot and see where the world's perception is of you as a whole, through the whole circle, and for each individual characteristic that we described a minute ago, the, the larger level characteristics, and then the smaller slices of characteristics. If you are a strong leader, you're going to see a lot of green in the upper and very little green in the lower. Depending on where you are in the trajectory of your career and the trajectory of your leadership, you might see some room for growth. You might see a lot of room for growth across the entirety of the tool or across a particular area. But there's a big story that can be told and a good evaluator will give you that richness of detail, the richness of findings as they're going through their feedback session. I always schedule a minimum 90 minutes for a feedback session. I give myself 90 minutes in front to do my analysis, my preparation, and then another 90 minutes to do the actual feedback. So as an evaluator, it's a three-hour commitment to do the upfront work and then to do the feedback itself. And so as I go through here, I'm just beginning to deconstruct what I'm seeing in the circle. And one of the things that always jumps out at me immediately, and you spoke about this indirectly a few minutes ago, it's what I would call self-other disparity, how I see myself versus how the world sees me. And each slice of this pie, if you're going to use that analogy, shows us a different either agreement or disagreement on how you view yourself and how the world views you. If I see a lot of gap between how the world sees them and how they see themselves across the entirety of the tool, that's a pretty strong theme, whether it's positive or negative. If I think I do something really well and the world thinks I have a lot of room for growth in that, well, that's pretty important information to me. And if you're using you know, shore up your weaknesses style, you're going to want to work on that. Or if you're a strengths finders guy or gal, you might think about who could I compliment on my team to help me with that. You know, we think about the snapshot and how it's like, you know, think about a photo, it's capturing just a moment and you look at it and and you think about what happened before that led to this and what's going to happen next. And so the evaluator can come up with a story based on the snapshot, but you're coming with your own story and now you're you're able to compare your story to those actual statistics and what you captured when you were evaluating yourself so it's just interesting like thinking about it that way like what context are you bringing to this and and then where do you kind of yeah then when do the conclusions and recommendations come in yeah absolutely so let's talk about those a little bit in, in our final few minutes here in many ways this entire circle is the totality of your leadership. However much you've decided to invest in your leadership, this is a snapshot of it. And in that sense, it's to some extent, it's a zero-sum game. And you really have a couple of choices. You have the opportunity to increase the size of your leadership, to work more hours, to be more present, or borrowing from one area of effort and giving that energy to another area of your effort, which is probably more realistic. Because most of us work about as hard as we're going to work, given our work-family self-balance that we've already established. That is our house of leadership, and this is what our work-family self looks like, and therefore, here's my circle. 
And so for most of us, it boils down to where can I borrow energy from to contribute to another area? And so one of the things I love about this picture that the circle gives you is that it shows you from one side to the other where you could draw energy from and give it to another area. So if you're seen as perhaps over-controlling, you have a lot of green in controlling, which is a negative correlated characteristic of strong leadership. You look on the chart where you have a little less green in the upper half, you could literally take the energy that you're over-controlling with and give it to another area of positively correlated leadership, which is probably building and sustaining relationships with people, being more authentic, any number of areas. And a good evaluator is going to have that level of detailed conversation with you. If I see a lot of self-other disparity, that's an opportunity for realigning energy. And it comes in one of two ways. One way you think you really are not good at something and the world thinks you're doing a pretty good job. The angst that's creating in your life, the additional work you're probably doing to make up for this perceived deficit, that's not free. You know, that, that effort isn't zero. So where could you apply that energy to include resting more, to include just sitting and thinking more? And the opposite is true if you think you're really good at something and the world thinks you're really bad at something. First of all, it doesn't matter to you. Do you need to fix this to achieve your life's vision, to fulfill your own principles? One of, the, one of these slices of the pie actually measures work, family, self. And if the world thinks you're good at it and you don't, that's something. If the world thinks you're bad at it and you think you're doing okay, that's something. That's a finding. And you can make a conclusion and therefore perhaps make a recommendation. And so self-other disparity offers us that same opportunity for growth. So let's just talk about how do you change perception? I know you and I teach self-limiting perception. We teach perceptual coaching. And so if I am a coach and I do look at this 360 and the leader that I'm working with concludes they need to make some changes in their life and therefore we self-discover, I facilitate self-discovery of uh, recommendations, you know, how do you do that? Ultimately, either across the entire organization or individually, you change the communication and or change the demonstration. So let's go back to work film itself. You think you're doing okay at it, but your responders say not so much, right? There's a big self-other disparity there. But how do you begin to close that? Well, one is to communicate. This isn't the kind of leader that I want you to see in me. This isn't the kind of leader that I want to be. And then begin demonstrating how work family self is important to you. Take time off. Be explicit about when you're leaving the office, when you're going on vacation, social things that you're doing with your family, any number of ways you could begin demonstrating that work family self is important to you. If you're seen as over-controlling, um, how do you communicate? Hey, this isn't the kind of leader I, I want to be known as. I don't want to be a micromanager. And then begin demonstrating, demonstrate delegation, demonstrate loosening the reins. So it ultimately, it boils down to communication and demonstration. Yeah, and I guess 
just the level of awareness in the context that your evaluator might provide where, you know, think about a time in your life where somebody was controlling with you and, and you didn't appreciate that. Or think about a moment that might have led your your supervisor to believe this, you know, being honest with yourself. Did those conversations with your manager go well, you know? So I guess like, yeah, almost understanding where you might have that perception of others or with yourself. And yeah, like you said, the demonstration is the action you're taking that's going to go be observed by other people and lead to their perception. Yeah, absolutely. So the last thing I'll talk about before we head out, emotional intelligence. So here we are, you know, quarter of the way into the 21st century or the first century of the 21st century. Emotional intelligence, depending on where you, what your life's vision is and where you want to be in your leadership, the higher you get in the, in the leadership journey, the more important that it is. One of the things I really find valuable in this tool is the way it's structured. The upper left quadrant tells you very quickly about emotional intelligence, how you perceive yourself and how the world perceives you. Because if you look at the characteristics of the upper left, all of them talk about your willingness and ability to build relationships with other human beings. Caring connections fosters team play, collaborator, mentoring and developing interpersonal intelligence, selfless, balanced, has composure, is a lifelong learner, has integrity. And so if you're telling me a story, if you're communicating to me as your coach, hey, I want to be these things, uh, and you're not demonstrating them, and the world sees that, then that's probably going to be an area that I'm going to be very interested in. I remember we have a case study in our training of a, a leader, a very senior leader that I was doing a feedback session with. And that person's opening line was, I know I'm good. That's why I'm here. And when I looked at their circle, there was absolutely no green in the upper left quadrant. And for me, the alarm bells are going off. What's going on here? And then that opening statement, I know I don't judge as a coach, but I'm certainly thinking, well, that's interesting. And so if I were to coach you over time and we were to look at your leadership circle over time, I would want to see the upper left quadrant get greener and greener. Each of the slices of the pie starts at zero in the center and grows out to 100. And so if 0% of your respondents saw you as that, you would have no green. If 100% of your respondents saw you as having that characteristic, for example, selfless, you would be green all the way up to the 100th percentile. Over time, I want to see those slices grow and grow and grow because you're going to have a very challenging time as a 21st century leader in a very senior position with no emotional intelligence, either self-perceived or the world perceives. It seems like you'd have that opinion if, you know, maybe you do have on the top the task side and the success that you have in tasks is at the expense of having success with people. So, you know, I had this example recently where we're on this project and it's like, okay, we have all these people that we can report to. This person 
is directly associated with us, but we have an opportunity where we can just share our successes with, you know, higher up people and not take the person along with us with our success. But it's like, wait, stop. How can we make this person have credit for our success and be part of our success? So it's not just about us, you know, thinking about it from like, okay, like maybe the team is hitting all their goals, but people aren't satisfied. Okay. They're not actually as satisfied with the results as you are, you know? No, you're right. And that's where it comes from the communication and the demonstration. And, you know, you've reminded me of the foundation of our house of leadership and that is courage. You have the courage to say, no, this wasn't me. It was him or her. They were huge contributors to this. And I was largely a bystander. Yeah, that's super important. But then you also, if that isn't authentic, you get caught in another slice of the pie as being inauthentic. So it's a journey. I mean, you got to hustle to be a, an emotionally intelligent 21st century leader, for sure. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, we'll see you next time. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was... Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.